you do feel like the hospitality industry is somewhat alienated. You do feel like it's, it's you know, it's overlooked. Um, and there are times through this where we think to ourselves, okay, then we band together and we rub shoulder to shoulder and see how we can come out of it. And that's what I'm taking away from these times. Today on Dirty Linen, we are talking to Rabbi Yanni. Rabbi is one of Melbourne's most uh, experienced, thoughtful and clever respirators. He's the publican at the Botanical Hotel in South Yarra, an iconic venue and one of the places that Melbourne looks to to celebrate and to, I guess, feel the pulse of the city. Last time I spoke to you, Rabbi, it was for a story, I think it was in June, and we were looking forward to reopening that little bit further prizing open the doors a bit more and welcoming in more customers. As we know, Melbourne took a little bit of a U-turn at that point and things did not progress. In fact, we locked down again. It's really been a tough year and I'm grateful for your time today on Dirty Linen. Thanks for coming along and having a chat. Uh, Danny, thank you. Thanks for the introduction and uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to uh, to, to have a voice through your medium and discuss what we've endured and I think most hoteliers and restaurateurs have endured for the better part of 2020. Uh, yes, you're right, last time we spoke we were excited and I think I was trying to lobby to, uh, you know, we were gloating that our numbers were suppressed and the, and the virus was managed and uh, we were hoping that we were going to increase our uh, capacity from what was allowed at the time to I think it was 50 people and uh, rather than going north we went south and uh, here we are. You know, when I spoke to you then, and, you know, I suppose it goes to, you know, my views on you as as a hospitality person, you know, when you were talking about reopening and welcoming more diners, what I felt most strongly was how lucky those diners were going to be that you were once again able to wield the arts of hospitality in their direction. Um, There's something about being a hospitality lifer such as yourself that it's like, you just love looking after people, don't you? Yeah, there is this need to please and now more so than ever, you realise I've always maintained, particularly with a local hotel or a local pub, it's never owned by the publican or the hotelier or the family behind it. It's always owned by the community. And my role as publican and hotelier is to navigate that community expectation. And through this climate, more so than ever, you realise that the community need it. The commu- it knits the community together. It's part of their routine, whether it's dropping off at school because we're within proximity to four uh, schools in this area, uh, dropping t- uh, you know junior at school and then coming in for a coffee or coming straight after school for a, a burger and fries or um, or you know finishing work and on the way home not quite ready to go home but stop in and have a. a a chilled beer from the taps or a glass of rosé whilst looking out over the Royal Botanic Gardens. There's all these reasons why the hotel or a local hotel is owned by the community. And through these, well, it's been now almost uh, seven months, um, it's really just demonstrated to me how important it is for the community and that excites me and that's what keeps that spring in the step. You move on from what it means to you financially. You move on from what your account balance looks like. You start thinking about what it means for your community. But having said that, what it means for your team, what it means to your staff, what it means to... And most of them, as I've said before, are in that you know sort of 20 to 28 uh, age group. And that level of uh, routine and structure or that level of purpose uh, 
uh, you know, it goes beyond what the monetary or the financial stability or that, that expectation is. Some only work 12 or 14 hours a week. And, you know, with the recent federal government uh, handouts or subsidies, they're okay. Uh, but it, they don't have that routine and structure, which is what hotels and local businesses provide. So how have you um, managed your team through this? Look, the only time you're required to lead is through, you know, times like this. Anyone can sail a ship when the sea's calm. And my role, and as I said to the team March 22 when, we, when it was announced um, at the time, it was a Sunday evening that we had to close as of midday the next day or revert strictly to takeaway only, uh, my... My pledge to the team was at the time, this is when I need to lead you through it. And what we've done here is whilst our, our employment pool has somewhat halved, we've tried very hard to look after those that didn't have the government support or the subsidies uh, available to them. So they're the ones that were, uh, in my view, that needed, they're the most vulnerable, they need to be protected. And that's what we did uh, here without discounting those that have been with us for quite some time and the loyalty, et cetera, et cetera. So we're now trading as a retail outfit. Um, however, we are across seven delivery platforms and takeaway, um, online takeaway models as well. And we've also established a take-home heat and serve meal, which is now in eight independent grocery stores uh, around Victoria. So we've basically dug deep, looked to what initiatives we could establish uh, or initiate, I should say, and, uh, and, and worked with them. And in turn, that provides work for our team, for the ones that don't have the support or the allowance from government, and also keeps us and the brand engaged with that community. So we can, can't underestimate that, and that's what's been very important for us. Because I know that you've had some visa holders on your team. How have they been faring? Have they have you been able to keep those people on? Yeah, so they're the and when I refer to vulnerable, I don't vulnerable. I don't mean to sound condescending or anything uh, of that nature. It was they're the ones that I felt, Ravi, you need to uh, do your bit and lead. And you know, well, I'm talking about students who have worked with me for four, five, six years uh, on various across various visas and and what have you and. They, oh, there was no way I was just going to leave them to, to be sitting out there and, and having to fend for themselves. We won't know and we won't see the true effect of this until probably winter next year when we're looking, when res restaurants and hospitality is, is thriving again and we're looking for that international skill set that we require uh, that won't be there. It won't be available. And there's a lot to be said at the time, there will be a lot to be said at the time about that. But for now, I've tried to look after those that I could and I'm able to. Yeah, look, there's a lot of uh, short-term thinking as far as the international workers go. And I think even now, um, the federal government is looking at bringing people in to work in agriculture, which is, uh, you just think, <laughs> like, this was all very foreseeable. Um, and yeah, it's very unfortunate, but it, it's it's great that you've you've been able to keep your people on at least. Look, you can only ever control what's in front of you. And as much as I would have loved to have gone out and advocate stronger and more vocal, and I know you have been, Danny, and I commend you for that. Um, yeah, first and foremost, this 
is about Victoria, about Victorians, and about our livelihoods. Um, you know, the, the the thing that I have that I have most issue with this, it's been politicised and with no real consideration for small, medium businesses that are made up of mum and dad. Is Rabiani going to be okay? Will Botanical Hotel still be here? The chances are yes, yes to both. Uh, but there are, I, I wish I could say the same for, I'm assuming 40, 50%, if not greater, of my colleagues and people who I've grown up in the industry looking up to who have either become... Uh, you know, they've lost uh, enthusiasm for the industry for one reason or another. We went into this in a fairly vulnerable position. Uh, this has just exacerbated what we already knew the industry was enduring. Uh, and whilst it's all very romanticised because it is hospitality and it is a level of service, it's, it's still a business and we need to look at it and treat it as such. And this time, this control-alt-delete period, I hope will put us in a position where we can come out of it a little bit more unified, a bit more shoulder-to-shoulder, -shoulder, and, and that's only as a result because we're all feeling the pain in the same spot, um, come out of it with a lot more consideration for one another, our teams and the local community. Well, why do you think that that would happen? Like, why do you think that, it's po that, this, that this reset will happen in such a positive way? I like to think that there is a silver lining, first of all. And more often than not, whenever you go through, when you're out in the woods and you're looking at something and you're going, hang on a minute, why, why is this happening? At the time, you don't realise, and it's probably a year later or two or three, you go, oh, that's why this happened. And I now have a weekly Zoom with, say, 12, 13 other restaurateurs and hoteliers, and we're all feeling the pain. And whilst we don't agree on, on the map, on the route we take, we all agree on the destination. And I think that's, that was, that's been very, very important. It's helped us all get through with one another because we're feeling the same uh, or enduring the same pain. And how long will it last? I don't know. I don't know. And, you know, maybe things go back to normal and we all start being our competitive selves. I'm not sure. But I think for now it's been, it's been quite refreshing to be able to jump on a Zoom and, and, and see the faces of, you know, your fellow restaurateurs or people that you've grown up aspiring to be like or take from or learn from um, and, and go, right, we're all in this, we really are in this together. Uh, is it because we felt like we were abandoned by the state or the federal government? I don't know. I don't know the reason, but we do feel at the moment like we're in it together. And, you know, we... It wasn't long ago, it was earlier this year when there was a, you know, a large restaurant group that, was, you know, that went, went under and that was like a watershed moment for our industry. And you know, is it, does our industry need gaming to survive and casinos and gambling? Is that what it needs? Or is true hospitality what it really needs? Yet when we do that, we feel like it's not paying the dividends it requires. And by dividends, I don't mean on your balance sheet or your profit and loss statements. I mean, dividends by when it feeds your heart and feeds your mind, because in turn, those two things will feed your pocket. So for me, for us to be, uh, to be united, I think that's been a, definitely a silver lining. Um, and, you know, this is, again, about Victoria, Victorians and our livelihoods. And Victorians is not exclusive to residents of Victoria as, you know, passport holders and uh, visa holders are residents of Victoria. They contributed and I agree with that. Absolutely.
Yeah. So when you talk about the restaurant group that collapsed, you're talking about the maid establishment. And why do you say that that was a watershed moment? Oh, because, you know, to, to look at a, a group that was trading at, you know, applying practices that more aside from aside from the cloud hanging over their head, you know, there, was, there were times there where you'd go and you'd enjoy their restaurants or their quick service restaurants being their takeaway shops and you'd walk away and you'd think, wow, that's really done well, the level of training. And testimony to that, or testament to that, I should say, testament to that is I've employed four of their senior managers who, have, who joined me in, you know, shortly before COVID and I'm working bloody hard to keep them you know, employed and I don't want them going elsewhere. But you look at them and you look at the way they work and the level of discipline and the training and you think to yourself, well, hang on a minute. There were, there were some good practices there, yet what we remember are the not so, you know, fond memories because that's what we were told through the press and the media. And is this the same sort of situation with the virus that's going on? I mean, did I need a pandemic to teach me or to train me or to explain that I need to wash my hands after using the bathroom? Of course not. So you do feel like the hospitality industry is somewhat alienated. You do feel like it's, it's you know, it's overlooked. Um, and there are times through this where we think to ourselves, okay, then we band together and we rub shoulder to shoulder and see how we can come out of it. And that's what I'm taking away from these times and having this conversation with you. Uh, as I said, I don't want to sit here and talk about the why was me because some great things are coming out of it. You look at Shane D'Elia with Provador. You look at us with our uh, take-home heat and serve meals in eight independent grocery stores and, and supermarkets. These are all good things. But in the meantime, there's going to be some damage. And my role as leader is to minimise that damage and minimise the sacrificial soldiers, so to speak, in order to save the army. Mm. You said earlier on that you thought it had become political. What do you mean by that? You, you, can, you can't help but turn on the television or get online and read, you know, what's, what's being said. And our management plan of this, these six or seven months is not proportionate to the medical and economic risk. Not one is, and by no means, and I know there are going to be people going to say, here he goes, he's putting people, uh, profits before people, and it's not about that. We've moved on. This is about, okay, we're going to have this virus or there's going to be some level of bacteria or what, what, it, what it is. We need a management plan that's proportionate to the medical risk and the economic risk that we have at hand. Otherwise, what Melbourne is known for, the most livable city, Melbourne is known for its bars, its alleyways, its coffee culture, its restaurants, its hospitality. That hospitality was not a, a result of the visionary politicians we have, and I use that word visionary with a great deal of sarcasm. That hospitality dates back to the people like Don Levy Fitzpatrick, your Con Christopoulos in Spring Street, your Chris Lucases and Frank Van Handel, and I can go on, and the Grossi family. I can go on and on and on and on. You know, your Andrew McConnell, who's still, despite this, opening up venues. That's because we believe in the hospitality industry. We believe in Melbourne. In the meantime, it has become political. In the meantime, we have a management plan that maps out a road to misery that says you're not going to open until we've eradicated this virus. Well, I can tell you right now, there aren't zero cases of a migraine. There aren't zero cases of appendicitis. So we need a management plan that's proportionate to the medical risk. Yes, first and foremost. 
0.7% of people recover aside from the elderly and the vulnerable. Well, we should have protected them in the first place. So now it's about too much, too late, and politicking and point scoring. And in the meantime, our hospitality industry is evaporating. And I'll tell you what, when Melbourne loses its hospitality industry, it's going to look like a very, very different city. I'm not surprised we've lost estimated 400,000 people to other states. I'm not surprised. I know of a lot of good people, talent in amongst them, and visa holders in amongst them, who have either gone back home or have left Victoria because they feel abandoned. And that's how us restaurateurs feel to a certain degree. But we're a resilient bunch and we're determined to reopen our venues and to demonstrate to the world that Melbourne is the most livable city. Yeah, well, I guess we can agree that we're going to get back there in some form. We, uh, you know, there are obviously varying views about how to get there and what the correct path is. I guess, um, you know, for me, it's. I think you're right that the it's those people that you mentioned and, and many others and, you know, so many in the neighbourhoods and in, you know, various various suburban areas that are creating great things and giving us the Melbourne that we love. But no matter how good you are at hospitality, like you are unlikely to also be an epidemiologist and a scientist who's able to do the modelling that shows us that we need to get to a certain level of cases before we open up and risk going back into a situation just for example, I was reading about the UK at the moment that, you know, things have, for, you know, they, did they open up too early? Did they open up without enough restrictions? Whatever it is, um, they're just in such a terrible situation. And I think I'm sure we can agree that we don't want to go back into lockdown once we open up. Totally agree. And by no means am I here to quote epidemiology or, you know, I'm a firm believer in you stick to your swim lane and my swim lane is running a, a pub or a restaurant floor and if that's all I'm destined to do, then I'm a very, very happy person and I've been doing it for 27 years. I'm not here to discuss politics or epidemiology, but, you know, you can't help but pay mind to the level of lies, the mistakes and the cover-ups. I mean, they're well documented. So I'll just park that for a moment. What I'm saying is any management plan, you do not stop building roads in fear of someone having a car accident. You don't stop building staircases because someone might trip and fall down one. You still do that, but you do it with caution and you do it with care. And we proved that we could do it. We opened up between lockdown one and lockdown two for five weeks. There wasn't one outbreak. Yet abattoirs, they were classified as the highest risk. They're open. Building sites, they're open. Where everyone's eating, urinating, shitting, drinking in the one area with no masks. They're open. Yet we are one of the highest regulated industries and we're still closed. So yes, you're right. I stick to my swim lane. I don't want to talk about epidemiology because world-class epidemiologists tell us different to what we're hearing and what we're being fed. You're correct. For me, I just think we need a management plan like anything that's proportionate, whether it's protecting our visa holders, our Victorians. What defines a Victorian? Well, I think they fall in the same category. Yeah. Uh I guess it's the thing with like people falling downstairs or having a car accident is that you don't catch car accidents or falling downstairs from the from the person who just did it. So I guess, and you know, neither of us are um, epidemiologists or experts in uh, in modelling of pandemics. Uh, so I guess, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I all I can say is. I really want restaurants to be open soon and I want them to be open when it's safe. And when it is safe and when they're open, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be, yeah, spending my money in restaurants and helping Melbourne get back on its feet again. And that's going to be a good day. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, like, you know, more so than 
Yeah, I'm not going to say more so than you because I know how much you love restaurants and particularly Melbourne restaurants, but I am very much looking forward to it. And the moment we can, uh, whilst at the moment we do what we can and, you know, putting meals in, you know, the, the correct containers and, and delivering them as hot and as well as we can, it's not what feeds the heart and uh, it's, it's seeing that guests face and those reactions when you're putting a plate of food in front of them or pouring them a glass of wine and and how appreciative guests are that's what makes us tick and that's why we've signed up to the industry so it's not to put you know ingredients in boxes and send them out i mean that's that's a commercial decision that we're doing because we need to yeah do you reckon you'll keep doing some of that stuff when you're able to reopen and the restaurant can stand on its feet financially uh, look I think there'll be there'll be initiatives that will remain um, yeah, whether I do them from this site or whether there's a it's a separate site or it becomes another part another spoke in the wheel so to speak I don't know I mean I'm I'm a fairly content person and seeing a full dining room and a, and a few, you know, guests in the bar and saying g'day to, you know, Roger or Jeffrey or Paul and, and pouring a cold beer, that, that to me, that ticks a lot of boxes. So there will be some initiatives that will remain. Is takeaway one of them? I don't know. Really depends on how slow we crawl out of this, I guess. I guess. Well, you started by talking about community. What do you feel that your community is getting from you now and what do you think they want from you when you're able to reopen? Uh, I have never been in an environment where the local community wants you to do so well. And I'll be honest with you, the, the, the guests around here have been fantastic. And this is pre-COVID. I actually uh, I made that assessment and, and, and that observation, I should say, to the team. I said, you know, I've, I've run pubs where the local community want to shut you down because for one reason or another, you, you know, there's rubbish in the mornings after patrons leaving or they're leaving loudly at night or whatever it is. And, you know, that, that does happen from time to time with a licensed establishment in a built-up residential area. But this community here and through the last, you know, say, seven months, they've demonstrated that a great deal of loyalty, support and encouragement uh, and you feel like, well, I really owe you. I've got to do the right thing here, and uh, it's been fantastic. So that's the community vibe that I get, the feel that I get, uh, and they vote. You know, they vote with their feet. They're coming in, they're ordering, they're respecting one another's distance, and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, so no, that, that's what I talk about when I when I say the community. That's what I refer to. Mm. One of the things I've heard recently from regional restaurateurs is they've been able to reopen to a limited degree is that some of their patrons are finding it hard to understand and abide by their restrictions, whether it's uh, whether it's around like the actual rules about distancing or perhaps not moving around the venue, but also about understanding that, you know, to sit there on a coffee for a couple of hours, you know, on a very precious rare seat is perhaps not the best way to treat your local restaurant. What do you think will be... Um, the mindset and the behaviour of Melbourne diners when restaurants are able to reopen? Do you, do you think that there'll be a difficulty in communicating what works best for everybody? Uh, look, there will be that level of... It, it will require a great deal of discipline and communication both ways between the operator and the guest. Uh, more often than not, guests understand that, you know, the table is precious and all... But you look at this venue where if we're open and we're limited to, say, a maximum of 20, yet I could name 200 regulars. So who do you say no to? Who do you say yes to? And on the whole, I only have that period between lockdown one and two to go by. On the whole, that at that stage, guests were 
just appreciative to be out and would work within what your requirements or what your boundary line was as imposed by the government or the DHHS or whatever it was or your own code of conduct for, your, for a COVID safe environment. They were willing to. I would say as it got later, like as it progressed, um, I think guests were fatigued by the do's and the don'ts and that makes it very hard for us in hospitality. You know, we're used and we're trained to and we sign up because we say welcome, yes, no, yeah, oh, sorry, yes, uh, welcome, with pleasure, all the rest of it. No is not part of the vocabulary. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So very rarely is no part of the vocab. So that's like the rules and regulations are almost the antithesis to what we're trying to achieve by being hospitable. How do you manage that, especially if, if after a, you know, a bottle of Burgundy? How do you manage that um that precious customer. I say, look, you know what? I've got a great Pinot from the Mornington Peninsula. Victoria needs all the help it can get. How about you take it and have it at home? <laughs> you know, like um, I, I, I don't know. As I said, it requires a great deal of um, communication and management. Again, a management plan that's proportionate to the risks, the do's and the don'ts. And that's what we do. We have to apply a level of you know, commercial viability an ethical obligation and a moral obligation. We need to balance it, and that's our management plan. Doesn't mean that Rabbi Yanni needs to be present and on site more often than not. Well, if that is the case, then so be it. I signed up for that. It's my responsibility. I'm here, I lead my team, and I don't rely on them to say or have the difficult conversations with the guests. I'm here to support them, and I have that difficult conversation myself. And more often than not, it will, it will resonate with the consumer and they'll understand uh, and hopefully it doesn't cause either or agitate either party. Yeah. Well, I, I reckon once you're open, I think anyone would have to prize you out of there. I feel like you will be there all the time anyway because you'll be so happy to have your customers back. Do you reckon that there'll be a difference in what people want to eat and drink? Do you think? Do you feel like the average spend is going to um, increase or decrease? What are your What are your hunches in that regard? Uh, my gut feel is there's the the pent up demand. We just got to be ready. We got to be prepared. We got to be have our team trained to to accommodate it. It's uh, it's 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 high. The demand is high and. I think hospitality this op- this time has given us an opportunity to get to know our businesses a hell of a lot better, and when when it comes back, it'll come back like a slingshot. And do you th- can you say that about Melbourne generally? I mean, we've talked about a lot of restaurants that perhaps might not get through the other side. You mentioned that there's a lack of enthusiasm, or people have been bit ground down by this current situation. Do you feel like that bounce back is going to come across the industry, or do you think it's going to be a little bit patchy? I have a great deal of faith in Melbourne, Melbournians in particular restaurateurs. Uh, we're a resilient bunch. And whilst there's the, there's the why was me at the moment and, you know, how did this happen and how did I get here, once it's ready and once it, we can see a, uh, a level of enthusiasm from the consumer, we, our heels, uh, you know, we get our heels off the ground and we move and the adrenaline kicks in and I think it'll be across the board. I believe in Melbourne and I believe in, in the restaurateurs of Melbourne. 
Yeah, I believe in Melbourne too. Um, Rabbi, just finally, there'll be a lot of um, less experienced restaurateurs and hospitality workers listening to this. With a, they've got a lot less experience than you do. What advice could you give to people to just like you know just push through these these next weeks and uh, towards reopening? What, what 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 words of wisdom do you have for people? First of all. We're, we are in it together and I'm fortunate I have a good group of restaurateurs that are, you know, we're with one another and we discuss this. And, and what I say, a problem shared is a problem halved. Um, you, you know, pick up the phone, call. You're welcome to reach out to me. There's, you know, there's LinkedIn, there's Facebook, there's Instagram. You can call me here on the landline at the hotel. Let's talk and let's talk through it because you aren't going through it. This is not exclusive to you and it's nothing you did yourself. But what you do now will determine how you look on the other side. And I ask and I urge every single one of my hospitality peers to remain strong, keep themselves and their families safe. I mean, initially when we were allowed to go to retail only or sorry, takeaway only, I closed the venue for three weeks. We're 1,100 square metres on Domain Road in South Yarra, paying rent, and I closed the venue because I felt that that was the ethical and the moral thing to do at the time. So we've all tried different things, and we were all scared at some point. And whilst I can sit here with a level of confidence, it's only because every day we get up, I get up, and I try to do things a little bit better than I did the day before, and I have some amazing support, one being my wife and my two children, and then it goes on from there. So... If there's one thing I say to you, talk, share your issues, share your problems, and if there's anything I can do at all, please reach out. Thanks, Rabbi. That's so generous. And uh, thank you very much for sharing your perspective today. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for the opportunity and stay strong, Melbourne. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.